This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. You want to repeat your question? That way we, we, we have a context. Sure, yeah. um, the question is, how does one surrender or mevatel to Hashem? So it is extremely unnatural for a person to surrender. Uh, people not built to surrender. We're built to survive, to exist, to be. Um, the the um, I think the depth of understanding is that ourselves are um, some sort of branch from Akadosh Baruch Hu. In other words, if if um, if I understand that his das is really, his understanding is really the, a higher level of my understanding. In other words, whatever I'm coming from, it's just like when, when you speak to somebody wise, so you're not expecting somebody to push away your desires and put in his desires. It'll never work. What, what you actually get is, so for instance, let's, let's take an example. You, you, you go to a lawyer and you say, I want to fight this case. That person says, let's sit down and think about it. You want to fight it for what reason? Because I want to make money. So let me explain to you why you're not going to make money by fighting. And you'll make money by you know, coming to an agreement or settling or, or whatever it is. So, so really what you're trying to do is unlock an understanding of where your real desire lies and seeing how it is that you're realizing through me. Our sense of self is really an extension of Kaddish Baruch Nothing else in the world has a consciousness and sense of self, anything like it. So, so long as we perceive it's me against God, but since God is so much nicer and finer and smarter, everything I ought to surrender, it's very tough. It, it, you, you, you live with a sense of no self, so then you don't exist anymore. But what you're trying to say is, in as much as, if this is his Ratzon, I'll tell you a story. Um, we had a, a, a mother of, of one of my children who was a phenomenal woman. Um, there, there were Balachuvas, very successful people. Um, they became like from a, the 20s, he was a uh, Navy officer, and she was a very bright woman. And she, um, sh- she, she became very influential in other people, very much Shpia, extremely special person. And she battled cancer for about 10 years. And this I heard on a, on a recording, a eulogy of a, of a closest friend. And she said she came in to visit her about two weeks before she passed away. And she was in a very bad mood. She said, I don't know what Hashem wants from me. I've done everything right. And, you know, I, you, I've done this. I've tried this. You know, when I was sick, this and that. I don't, I don't know what he wants or whatever it is. That was a conversation. She came back a week later. She said, she looked tranquil. And she said, I think Hashem wants me to want what he wants. And, you know, and that was so... In a sense of understanding that at a certain t- 
times in my life I'm being led, but at the end of the day, it's leading me, my real Ratzin and Hashem's Ratzin are in sync. And once you understand that, it's not surrendering, which is a very Christian word. It's self-realization. It's just that, that it's just like when you have a good psychologist, a good advisor, he helps you understand what you really want, and 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 what's just sort of a, a pop-up ad, and 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 I think so. That's the that's the process of it. So what's the application of any of, any of the idea of being just, the bathroom. So, so, but it has to be by coming to an understanding that, you know, um, I, I, I can tell you for myself, I mean, when I had to have, I made a decision about a school I wanted my kid to go to, we wanted, and if he would apply and got rejected once, I would make um, another, another uh, attempt and if it didn't go a second time, I called it quits. To me, that was like sort of the boundary between doing what I'm, not being lazy. Because you can't let his patos Hashem become a substitute for rolling up your sleeves and doing. On the other hand, you need to know the border at which point, you know, it's, it's not going, it's obviously Hashem wants it to go this way, and that's that. Um, so for me, that, that was a, a boundary that I that I made myself, and you know, Baruch Hashem, I was, you know, even when I was disappointed, it, it turned out well uh, in the end, and, I, and my feeling was, you know, I was led, and this is where I was. Yeah. Can I sure. Offer my own opinion. Please. Characters, all the way from Abraham through Moshe, Joshua, whatever, they're all very dignified people. Uh, and they're great people, but they're still dignified, they have dignity, certainly have a sense of self respect. I don't know, I mean, you can be who you are and want things in your life and still align yourself in the path of Hashem. Don't see that you have to turn yourself into like a piece of dust. Well, but isn't that exactly what Rosh did? Bring when you look at what he actually said that almost word word for word, when the people <laughs> were complaining against him, he would say like, "What? What am I? I'm nothing. What are you complaining against me? I didn't well, well, let me actually let me actually tell you a parak about dignity, where a fascinating. It says David Amelech was married to Michal. I, I pardon the pun, but she was a Jewish princess. <laughs> Not American, but she was a Jewish princess, and she. And then when they brought the Sefer Torah, when they brought the Torah back, he danced silly, and she didn't take it lightly. And she said, very sarcastically, "My dear King, this must be a very, very special day that you look as cheap and as tawdry as one of the as one of the maids, mm-hmm. you know." Very, and he turned to her and he said, "For the God." that took me from nowhere and made me who I am, even were I to make myself even less dignified, I still would not, it wouldn't be enough. 
and she was punished by having a child, and, and so on. That's, that's the parsha. And the Rambam brings this as a source. He says, if a person does not engage in simcha for Hashem, because he kind of is a little bit too full of his own dignity, that's a terrible thing. And he brings this, and he quotes this. So, so it, it is, it's, it's, and that's what I'm saying, it, a realization that my dignity is, um, let's give an example. To wash somebody who's filthy and dirty and smelly is not a very dignified thing, but when it's the right thing to do, person is, is, is a sick person, has nobody else to attend to him, when it's, it's, a, it's a parent or whatever it is, th- then it becomes, in, in other words, when dignity is a very, it's, 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 a, it's a positive value, but when, and the Ramah says, when you put your dignity ahead of Hashem's dignity, that's when it becomes a problem. So in the, in the context where you run on a collision course, then it's your dignity that you say, okay, you know, this is, this is right. Yeah, it says also, it says the Kohen, good, it says the Kohen would wear, had to wear priestly garments in order to, to, to um, clean out the Mizbeach, you know, in the morning, the first thing the Truman Sadesh was to take out the ashes to show how important it is. Yes, we shall speak about it. There was a yeshiva in Europe in Kelm. Kelm was Lithuania. Kelm yeshiva was the, the place where all, where, where they sort of trained Musa personnel, where people who would learn Musa, and the whole yeshiva was built around it. And they had a very interesting, everything was structured, everything was thought out beforehand, how, what, when. The cleaning of the bathrooms, and those bathrooms were really bathrooms, they were outhouses, they were not what we have today. And that was given only to the most important, you had to deserve to have that duty. And the point, and, and, the, and the, uh, it was because it's the house of God, it's because you're cleaning it for the people that are sitting and studying, that that has to be, it, it was considered very, very important, and only the best, or the, whatever it is, you know. So, so it's, it's important at that point to understand that dignity and covered really, not always, you know, is it aligned with what we think it is. You have to think a lot and say to yourself, you know, if, it's, if this is where Hashem's coming from, then it's my dignity to... to Shach told me something once very, very fascinating. I, it, was a, it was a conversation. I, I, never, I didn't have many conversations with him. I had a conversation that one thing led to another, and he told me that many times... I don't, I, I don't think the word many was a little bit of an exaggeration, but he said many times somebody would ask a question on, on a share in front of everybody, and he'd stump me. He'd prove me wrong. He said, you know what I did? I would walk off and tell him you're right. Then he told me the logic. Like he said, Do you th- don't you think I could have stood and weaseled my way out of it? I could have weaseled my way out of it. But he knows I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. And he knows that I know I'm wrong. So is it adding dignity to me to stand up and defend myself? Or, or, is, it, or is it take away dignity? He said, it wasn't an act of humility to walk down. It was an act of salvaging my dignity. And he, he, it was a fascinating insight. You know, I think he meant it more 
to me, not from so, in other words, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think, but, but he, he, you know, like he was saying, it's, it's aligning yourself with what's right and true, even if it's at the expense of saying, I messed up, is, is, is dignity. So, so let, let me tell you a Chassidish of art. We spoke a little bit about Chassidish of It's a Chassidic of which again, Chassidic Verites are um, short on the literal meaning and extremely long on, on, on yeah. some depth to it. Um, so I'll tell you again, I'll tell you the passage, the way it reads and what it means, and then we'll give it the... It's a Slanim of art. He said, it says, it says in Rashi as follows that kosis lemar, the, the, the Pasuk says that the oil that is, that is used for lighting the lamp had to be pounded out. In other words, it's, it's, um, it's extremely squeezed out, crushed, crushed, and crushed, <coughs> the, crushed the crushed oil that comes out right away. Um, so Rashi says, he brings the halacha on it, it only has to be crushed for the for the lighting of the oil, but for the bringing a carb mincha where you took the oil and you mix it with the flour and you baked it, it did not have to be. It could have been squeezed also, which is less of quality. It's not that first oil and so on. That's that's what it says as me. So there's a chslanum of art on it. Kosis, a person should pound himself up. Lemar, if he's going to shine from it. Not if he's going to rest or depress or become in paralyzed and active from it. In other words, there's a type of push, you know, when you, when you sometimes beat yourself and you say, okay, I'm going to do better and you shine from it, that's positive. And sometimes it just becomes a way to become depressed and you say, what the heck, and that's that. So the line is, are you doing better because of it, or are you? Um, and, 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 and are you getting squeezed or are you getting crushed? Yes, <laughs> good, good. That's a good. Yes, it's exactly. Yeah. It's it's like pressure. It's like tension. Without pressure, we don't accomplish as much. With too much pressure, we stop accomplishing. And and knowing where to, you know, where to turn the screws to distinguish between crushing and and, and uh, squeezing is. Uh, Can I? And yes. the, and on, on, the, on the, I guess, segueing from this idea, the, the feeling of uh, when a person uh, crushes themselves, so to speak, the feeling of, uh, I find, at least for, my, for myself, and I, and I know from conversations with others in general, a lot of people here in the room also went to yeshiva, or, you know, they've had, we've had the experience of real, uh, a spiritual bliss experience, you know, and then uh, you get married, you get into the daily grind, and the uh, daily grind is a daily grind. And then, uh, but at the same time, in your mind, you still know what you, you still have ideals in your mind, and you, so you, you kind of weigh yourself sometimes against those ideals, and you you you, you it, it, it sometimes could lead into a feeling of guilt, and I'm not doing what I should be doing, or where I could do better, or I'd rather be doing, I'd rather be davening better, or I'd be learning better, or I'd be whatever it is, it could be chesed, whatever, whatever anyone's uh, individual struggle, but. You know, we get we get distracted with, uh, with and we get caught up. I say distracted is not the right word because they have to do what we have to do for work and home. So how do how do uh, what's uh, what, I, don't, I have an I'm an insider. I know that the, the Rosh Hashiva is now in the middle of about to publish a book for 
<laughs> B'nai Yeshiva, right? I think B'nai Yeshiva that are going to go into the working world. Yeah. And how to deal with uh, the change. And so some of us here recently, you know, just let, did that. And, and some of us here have been doing that in years past. I guess maybe you have to pick the most important part of the book. <laughs> what would you, the best advice in the book, what would you... Oh, like, how, 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 do, how do we you deal with that? Teaser? You want a teaser? How do we deal with that inner, the inner, ter- the inner conflict and the you know, tension? So, well, I, I can't give it... It's, it's, again, I'm speaking for a very specific world. Um, uh, the book that he's an insider to is... Um, it's, more, it's, it's more specific to people who spend much time in yeshiva and then are moving out and with all the guilt feelings and so on. It, the point is to rethink to understand the message of the yeshiva in a way that you can transport it. There's a problem. In other words, a typical yeshiva is not just telling you to be religious and keep mitzvahs. It's, it's stressing total involvement in Torah to the exclusion of anything else versus everything else. And that's a very tough one to make that transition. So I try to develop an understanding of how it fits. That's what I'm trying to do. I, Hashem should help that it should come out well. I, you know, it's, it's um, something I've written, rewriting. It's not easy. It's a, it's, it's a real struggle to be able to balance both. It, to, and again, this is pretty unique to the yeshiva world. The struggle between feeling you're a failure or they were wrong is a tough struggle for anybody. And when you put in a position of either rejecting a lot of the message or um, rejecting yourself, Neither of the two is palatable. So I try to understand the message in a way where both make sense. So, like, you know, having your, you know, eating your cake and having it too. So uh, we'll see. That'll take a fine tuning. Right, yeah, and the has one just the, the guilt. The Sorry, what did you want to say, man? From, pro- from the positive side, though, surrendering yourself. So to some degree, just think of times when you did it and work. That's always a good like, starting point. Your parents or a spouse or a good friend, when you were bottle your own desire for somebody else, and, the and it went well. And you were in their hands, and it worked. And you trusted someone, and it did go well. So to me, that's always a good starting point for, for finding the ability to do that. There's times when you were, I really feel one way, but you know what? Well, let's try it the other person's way. It's in their hands, and it goes well. And that, to me, is like a good starting point. For but you know, a, a stronger point. example of what I had in mind was you know, when I do something for somebody else, I chalk it up as a chesed or whatever it is. When a mother does something for a child, if there's, you know, if there's one, one slice of whatever the bread and the gives to the child, there's not even a sense of sacrificing. There's a sense of my child eating and being well-fed is, is me eating and being well-fed. It, it, it's... it's a mother is so aligned with a child's welfare. It works very well in the younger years. When you get older, it's a little bit annoying sometimes. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I remember when I came back for a visit once, my mother came into the room and covered me at night. I said, Mom, I'm a grandfather. You know, <laughs> at, 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 at some point, you know, I was. I had already quite a few grandchildren. And, and I was still a little tattle. I was going to be cold at night. And... and but on the other hand, you know, I, 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 a very vivid memory of my father's Hanavracha. This was in his last month or two. So I'd come back to help take care. And he was sitting with, with Pesach at the table. And um, they had ordered food. They couldn't remember. It was hard to make. So 
it was very good, whatever it was. And my father had a piece of that kugel, and he put it in my plate. And I said, Ta, I want you to enjoy it. So he smiled, and he said, I enjoy your enjoyment. And, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, it's, uh, so when a parent gives to a child, usually it's, you know, you, you, you feel it's yours. And a mother and a child is especially like that, that self-identity. That's the way it's supposed to be with a Kaddish Baruch it's, it's, But it takes a long, long time, long process, not easy. Yeah, that's really well, good. so a lot of us here have younger kids. Um, so I have kind of, it's kind of a two-part. I mean, the first thing is generally how does one instill Yerach Shemayim in our children. Uh, and also, I think, at sort of at younger ages in general, what should some of the, some of the Chinuch goals be? At some of those younger ages, like my kids, you know, five or six, like those sort of younger ages. In the big picture, a the in the child's mind, the behavior of the parents are the default setting. What's right? In other words, if I see a parent doing X or Y or Z. Even if I don't do it, but what's important is, let's give you an example. Let's say um, I, I see my father uh, learning every day, whatever it is, doing it always very, and, and it looks like he's enjoying it, and he's into it, and so on and so forth. It sets a certain a, a default setting in my mind that this is an adult activity, and it's good, and so on. If I see, let's say I see my parents sitting in a shul, never talking. Even if I'm wildly running around and doing whatever I shouldn't be doing, but in my mind, that becomes a standard. That's the most important part of it. Um, I always say, you know, kids learn the lessons very well. So, so a parent tells a child, my dear child, you should eat spinach and go to museums because it's very educational. And the father drinks beer and goes to ball games. So, so the kid doesn't think the father's a hypocrite. The kid picks up the message that the right thing to do is to tell your kids to eat spinach and go to museums, and you should drink beer and go to ball games. That's sort of, the, the child makes it very, in other words, your behavior is what the child takes as default setting. He'll, he may have a long journey, but if it was genuine and, and, and real, He'll come back to it. And the second piece of the puzzle is he needs to feel happily incorporated and not, if this becomes a point of contention, in other words, you try to foist your learning on him when he's not ready for, for the level of, of the mountain you're learning and so on. So then he rejects it consciously. He knows he struggles with it. It creates a, a, a tension, but he has to reject it because it threatens him. So... In the big, big picture, um, whatever Ruchnis activity you do that's genuine, consistent, that the child sees... I asked a boy, there was a boy who once came to our yeshiva. Um, he was much younger than he told us. I don't know how he got away with telling us. And he had been, obviously, um, recommended to leave a bunch of places. He was, he was a kid who did plenty of things wrong. And I guess if we would have really known more about it, we wouldn't have taken him, but we took him, very bright kid, um, and in, at some point he really turned the corner and 
became a tremendous kid and did very well and went on and whatever. I once asked him when his old, you know, when I realized what he had done when he was young and so on, I asked him, how'd you go from that to that to, to becoming who you are? What was it? And he thought about it and he said, you know, the things you hear at home, even if you fight them, but at some point it clicks in. And, you know, and, and hearing means, it means whatever is genuine, it's, it's something that um, is, is and, and if a child sees a father talking during diving to somebody, he, he, can, he can watch all the Don't Talk in Shul movies and he, can, and, and he can be taught, he's going to realize this is appropriate, this is right. Um, if, if, if he sees a father does not, and markedly so, then it, it's clear to him that it's wrong. And even if he doesn't listen, but at least he has the marker there. So I, I think those are two generally important things. Whatever it is that you want to give over your child, you have to be able to do it sincerely and consistently. And, um, and he has to be a happy, he has to, he has to want to emulate you, not, not reject you. Um, you know, it's a, those, those are the two, I think, most important pieces. And, and yes, different children, some will click in right away and things will work well. Sometimes there'll be a little bit of, uh, of, a, of a journey. But, uh, I think the, well, kind of addressed it. But just I thought my, my son once thought, you know, I, I have my youngest son, he's a little bit of a sharp kid. Um, I mean, he's married with three kids now, but when he was a boy at home, he was laying on the couch reading. There, on the Shabbos meal, I was, I was, you know, the Shabbos meal, he was, he sort of laid himself down on the couch read. And I sort of chided him gently, I said, Nachum, I said, you know, God willing, very soon you're going to have to have your own home. You, you, you know, you have to learn how to run a Shabbos table. Um, you know, how are you going to run a Shabbos table? So he said, it's, it's, it's very, it's simple. He said, you sit at that at a table, your kid lays on the couch reading, and you tell them someday you're gonna to have to have a Shabbos table. Yeah, he has three girls, and he's busy full time. And uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. What did you want to ask? Sorry. Uh, just specifically following up from the the sheer, um, before lunch, talking about differences in pace and um, you know, our neck of the woods versus New York and you know right. some of the um, perhaps distinctions are that you know there's such a concentration of people over there that on one hand you can do nothing and you're still riding the wave on the other hand um, you know you can you can disappear very easily because there's no accountability Correct. And, you know. so here it's you know it's a very small pool of people, and um, you know, there's a lot of. We're all kind of here um, together. We see the same people all the time. Is there things specifically for our community that you know, for the children, that um, they could get some of the connection to the broader Jewish world? And like, you know, we don't have like you know, all the organizations and all the yeah. societies and all the things. I mean, all these different, you know. We have we have like a and you know seasonally, and we have those kinds of things. But what what are the other things that we can kind of incorporate, maybe that are you know would not bring it some line, but that would you know that would just kind of like you know 
connect, more connect. connect with yeah. the larger firm world that is yeah. so, so, so in Silver Spring, it's also it's, it's somewhat yeah. of an so, so Why do you want to connect with more? No, but I'm saying, no, why do you want to connect with New York? Yeah, here. I mean, like, that, that we're not just like in our own little, you know, that, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously there's a lot of problems. At least the kitchen feels like a two-horse town. Yeah. So, so, yeah. um. Not to, not to run away from, you know, problems. Okay, so, so, there, there it's a fair, we, we have, in Silver Spring, it's a larger community, a much larger, but still, it's a census, it's a one yeshiva, it's a bubble, and, and there are two, two things that I try very hard. Um, first of all, the boys in the high school, or even Yeshiva Gdola, at some point I recommend that they go on to like the mirror or something, simply because every small place is idiosyncratic. And even though I, I'm very proud of it, and you know, I'm proud of every Mishagas of mine, but it's a Mishagas. In, in other words, it, they're seeing a bubble, and it's important that they see it in the context. And I tell them, the, and I, when I was at Shatora, I used to always sort of argue with, with Rav Noah about it. The, the world is going to be shaped like the mirror, not like Eshatora, not like Silver Spring. They need to be able to be a comfortable citizen in that world. They need to be able to understand what's good and what's right, and they'd be proud of what's specifically theirs. But, but it, it, that's an important piece. So going to camps, I think, is very important. Um, and we, I pushed very hard. And the kids today, now it, it's become... Quite in, in you know the norm that kids go to a summer camp with other kids from other places. So it used to be camp at Goodman West. Today, they, a lot of them go to New York and they're very comfortable with it. But it's an important piece of it. Um, I would also say something um, like bringing in mishpacha or modia into the house, so that at least they can thumb through it and know what goes on in the world. I was I was talking somebody somebody told me. He had a yeshiva in Memphis. And there was a yeshiva there. It still exists, but it's not a yeshiva at all anymore. It's called Yeshiva Tadarom and in Memphis, Tennessee. And he, um, and he took his kids to visit the parents in New York. So it's a long, long drive. And they stopped off in Lakewood to sleep. And, he, and the father said, you know, uh, uh, tomorrow I'll take you to the yeshiva. He said, in Lakewood they also have a yeshiva? <laughs> and, you know, it's a, there's something very small townish about it. There's, there's something that makes you incompatible with the world. So, so reading things like Mishpachan, what they're having around the house, so the kids get a feel for the names, the people, some of the norms, and um, you know. It, it, but but going to camp so and then or, or when a kid is old enough to go to yeshiva with together with oh, other kids is it, a very important piece of the puzzle. Okay, well, at what point do you tell your kids that like not every Ashkenaz shul has a Sephardi Sefer Torah and all kinds of people making hand gestures or Check my Mrs. Jenkins. You know, <laughs> everyone in the shul like you know the, the children who grew up there and like. Where did you grow up? I may ask. Uh, I'm from San Diego, but I've been in the shul for 10 years, not always. Yeah. So it's like, everyone who sees this, all the kids, this is, this is a shul, you know? Well, how did you integrate? But it's all, it's, how did you integrate? Uh, uh, you know, did you become aware? Of how did you make right. Yeah, it was all over the place. Hey, well, we, as a kid, when a kid grows up... Andrew, I'm just going to tell you, every shul in New York is far crazier than the ever one. They're not as... You're not as uh, pronounced, but they're there. You're trying to get some of what we left behind. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know, it, 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 listen, when a child is young, anyway, the, his world is a bubble. It's whatever it is that he sees as the norm. But as he grows older, it's important to make this a part of it. I, I would stress very much, we always went to Israel, to try to go to big yeshiva, and for, even for a short amount of time, as opposed to a small yeshiva, which might give them more specific skills they need, but just to be able to integrate in society, in, in Torah society as a whole, and not, you know, to feel that you're a citizen, you can, you, you can be comfortable in it. It's, every, it's everything. It's the it's the pictures. There's a community section which has it's, it's, so just to see pictures of other kids, other communities. What's going on in Lakewood? What's going on here? Again, like, like he said, I'm not. It's it's not meant to be gospel. It's not meant to be. It's it, it's but it's just to get a flavor to get names. Who's the big rebbe? Who's the big rabbanim? Who passed away? Who's you know, it's it's you can't be cut off and be a, a, a broth. So. <laughs> uh, we we all think of uh, ourselves as maybe having a certain problem here, a certain problem there. Everyone has their own issues going on. But what I'm curious, what uh, what we might not be seeing. So from the Rub's perspective, what do you think is the biggest challenge of our generation, of our generation of between like low, young thirties, late thirties, early forties? trying to raise young kids in today's society? What's like the one or two big challenges you think that we face that is unique? So it's hard for me to see it San Diego. In the world around, I think the, I, I think the big challenge is um, the transition, f- continuity, it coupled with rejuvenation. In other words, when I was growing up, people were becoming less and less religious. And the idea that the tide would swing was quite sudden. And, you know, all of a sudden it sort of materialized and people found Yiddishkeit and it's wonderful, it's fantastic, it's fantastic. But there are many people now, especially people who grew up in the system. So, so say somebody became about Shuva, it's natural. You know, he came from a different culture, he, he, not all the questions were resolved and so on, disappointed. Okay, we can. But how do you understand from people that fade out? Uh, you know, l- l- there are people that literally just go and, and drop it, and some people sort of fade out and they keep with the system, but their hearts aren't in it. How does that happen? I'll tell you, I grew up so learning in yeshiva full time, you know, with the type of learning I did was not in vogue. You know, if you were learning in Lakewood, you lied about that because nobody would want to marry you if you left in Lakewood. You know, it wasn't like today where you have to lie that you're learning. You like, you're always lying. <laughs> <laughs> the question, what? Now you lie that you are in Lakewood. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's, yeah, that's the only thing. You always lie, lie for a shit after. You, you know, uh, what? He said, now if you're in Lakewood, you lie, period. It's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, Some people shouldn't have them with you, maybe. But it was, and, and, I, and, and for me, it was a struggle until I decided I would do it. My parents were not thrilled with it. And the society around it was not supportive. And I did it. And, and it, it was hard. But on the other hand, it was extremely meaningful to me. The way becoming from is meaningful to, to everybody here who became from. Then the next generation... It, it, it's not, it doesn't carry that same oomph that it carried for me. It's, it, how, do I, how do I instill that fire in him? 
There's a be- there's a beautiful pshat from the Chedusha Rim, I think it is, or the Svasemis. He, he, he says a pshat, that, there's a medrash that says that Yisro, when Moshe married Yisro, he made a condition with him that the, the first child be given over to idol worshippers and the rest he can keep from. And he agreed to it. That's a medrash like that. And the question is impossible, how could it be? Was that? So, so the Chedusha says, you're reading it wrong. He doesn't say the first child should become an idol worshiper and the other children should become, you know, God-fearing. He says, Ben the children should first worship idols and then turn to God. In other words, to give over the sense of the, 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 the meaningfulness of it when you contrast it to the world you came from and a world that you're going to. So we don't think that that's a good philosophy. We're not going to raise our children, not religious, to have them become balachuvas at 18. Not, not a good move. Not a very... So what do you do? But, but for that kid, you know, it's one of the, one of the generation gaps between a balachuva and a child. I mean, I threw away all these narishkeiten, and I found Torah at the age of 23, and it's remarkable, wonderful. I wish I would have found it earlier. And you're getting the best education. I'm paying... $20,000 a year for it, and you tell me that you'd rather go do the Narishkeiten. How could that be? It doesn't make any sense. I've heard this time and again, one, one way or another way. So, I try and understanding how do we raise a generation that um, has the fire that the generation that founded has, and yet is, has all the benefits of having the education and knowing this stuff. I think that's a tremendous challenge. I don't know the answer to that. I just know that the challenge is there. I, you know, um, I also think the, um, the the ability to try to find the, the best and the brightest is the one who's got Lador, but how do you make that part of everybody's... When you give everybody the, the idea that the only, thing, the only option is to become God Lador, you set yourself up for failures, um, and yet... You want people to have, and you want them to try for it if they can, and you want them to be realistic if they can't. How do you do that? How, how do you, how do you, you know, the best pep talk is there's no option but. When do you decide to tell them there are options but? You know, at what age do you tell the kid it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's uh, cola or bust? And at, what, and at what age do you tell the kid this is going to be, this is the right direction for you and it's what Hashem wants? Um, that's a, those are two, I think, um, two issues in the heart of the system that we have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I don't have answers. You know, I can, you know, it's, uh, we can talk about it, but just no, no clear answers. Yeah, there's a 